All righty, so here we go. <laughs> now, I want to say, throw out this disclaimer right out of the gates. You're going to love this. I am going to likely offend every single one of you in this room at some point throughout this message. I just want to say that. And the reason I say it is because this is a tough issue. And um, there are six elders on our elder board, and all six of us have a different opinion on this issue. So what I'm going to do this morning, I'm not going to stand and proclaim where our church is at. I'm going to try and talk where Adam Nagel is at. But as I talk where I'm at, I know that all of you are at different places on this. So what I really would like to do is welcome you into a conversation. And, and um, you're going to hear a view presented this morning that I'm going to do my best to show you from the scriptures on what does the Bible say about women, specifically women in leadership and teaching in a role like where we're at right here this morning. And we'll unpack this together. We'll welcome you to a conversation. Hopefully that conversation continues, uh, maybe this afternoon at your lunch table, maybe this evening as you guys are getting ready for bed, maybe in your small group this week. But I just, uh, my goal this morning is to engage us to help us form our opinions carefully. And here's the thing I would ask. Can we differ without demonizing? That's the big thing. That's hard to do in today's world and culture. But the reality is this issue divides us. Matter of fact, I would say this issue might divide us in this country still to this day more than what we saw this past week play out in Charlottesville, Virginia. There's a lot of hurt over this issue. There has been for centuries Men have generally lived throughout, hum- lived in throughout human history as though, they're in, as though they're better than, stronger than women. And they treat women as though they're inferior and walked on and less than. And there have been a lot, a lot of hurt around this. I want to welcome us into this conversation and unpack this carefully. Here's what I want to do. I want to share, the, here's how I've structured this message. I want to share with you how I shifted in my view. And what I want to do is especially show you from the scriptures how I shifted, because one of the things I'm passionate about the scriptures, that's what the whole series is, what does the Bible say about, and then we've been filling this in, I want to show you how I've shifted in my view from the scriptures, not through culture, not that was then, this is now, I, don't, I want to try and avoid all of that discussion if we can, and just look at the scriptures and do our best to unpack them, if you allow me to do that. That's my heart, so I want to show you how I changed. Here's where I, share you where I was, and then I'll, throughout the message, you'll learn where I'm at. I'm not going to throw that out right out front, because some of you are going to plug your ears and walk out right away as soon as I say maybe, maybe. So where I was, when I left Bible school, I had to write a a doctoral dissertation, if you will, this huge, massive project that I had to give out to some professors and pastors, and and they they did what's called a mock ordination to prepare me for ordination. If you guys have never experienced ordination, it is a real joy. You stand up in front of brilliant men, brilliant women, and they question and quiz you and strip you naked in every possible area they can and back you into every corner they can and ask you about every issue they can and what you think about this and what do you think about that and what is the scripture and so one of the issues that I had to defend was women in leadership in the church Uh, if you pull I still have that whole work if you would pull that off and read it it would basically say in a nutshell that women could teach women women could teach children but women could not teach and lead men at any capacity is what I in essence what my paper said and then what I defended and stood I said that they could not stand in a place like this on a Sunday morning with a microphone strapped to their head and teach because men are present. That's where I was. Now, I've shifted on that, and what I'd like you to do is welcome you to the conversation and kind of show you how I've shifted. Now, here's where I want to start, though. Let me back way up and start with this. There's a foundational principle that we do have to establish. I've always believed and still believe to this day that there really is a difference between men and women. Now, you say, why do you got to say that? Because gender identity is is under attack in our culture today. Um, There is a difference, and the difference is not because my, it's not a social construct because my mom bought me G.I. Joes and bought my sister Barbie dolls. Now, some of you would say, well, Adam, were you playing with your sister's Barbie dolls? <laughs> I've lost a lot of man points over the years. I assure you, I was playing with G.I. Joes. I assure you, oh, I did play with Barbie dolls a little, but you know what I did when I played with the Barbie dolls? They made out with the G.I. Joes. <laughs> Any ever do that? Come on, you guys can own it. I mean, that's, that's what they did in my house. The Barbie doll and the G.I. Joes, they got together and they had fun. Uh, but anyways, there, there really is a difference. Now, Stereotypes can be dangerous for any of these issues, but let's let me give you one. Here's how men and women shower differently. I love this. It's kind of a good picture, right? The, the darker color or the areas that men believe they have to scrub, 
the lighter areas or the, you know, the, you know what I find interesting? Look at what color the man's hands are. Like, you're going shaking a man's hand. He hasn't washed real good. Now, you say, well, okay, okay, well, here's, here, let's just look at their showers. This is a good one, too. Here we got a man's shower and a woman's shower, right? If you're married, how many relate to this, right? I mean, it's like, what is that bottle and where did it come from? Why do we have this now? I mean, all I need is the shampoo, conditioner, and body wash in one jar, and we are good, right? Now, <laughs> these are stereotypes, and stereotypes can be dangerous because you might be a man in this room, and your shower looks more like this, which is cool. It doesn't mean you're, you're less masculine than the guy next to you who looks like this. Here's some of the science. I don't, I don't want to run too far with this because um, it's something that I read and study at times, but I'm not an expert in. But here's some of the stuff I do know. Women, if you're a female in this room, you have 40%, roughly, more nerve bundles between your left brain and your right brain. Now, you know what that's the difference of? It's like the difference of a super highway and a one-lane road. So, men, I mean, you're, you're, I mean, it's just switching that brain capacity is tough for you to do. That's why some have coined the phrase, men can easily move to their nothing box, where they think about nothing all day long. I mean, and you say, what are you thinking about? Nothing. This is why little boys, moms of little boys will sometimes get frustrated because little boys, they, we think they're ignoring voices. But the reality is little boys have a harder time picking up background noise. Little girls pick up background noise the way boys do not. Men generally, this is more of a stereotype, but its research has kind of generally bared this up. Men generally report talk, women report talk. You know what I mean? Uh, let me give you an example. Uh, you may get home, you went and hung out with a friend you haven't seen with, with two, you're a man, you went and hung out with a, a friend you haven't seen within two or three months, a really good friend, a friend that you know really well, and you connect, and you have a great time, you get home, and you're getting ready for bed, and your wife asks you, so how are their kids? And you're like, do they have kids? And your wife's like, do you even know your friend? Well, yeah, we talked about it. I mean, and so again, men generally get together and talk about the weather, talk about the sports, talk about the facts. Women get together and do all that relational stuff that sometimes is foreign to us men. Here's a fun difference. Men are struck by lightning 85% more than women. So women, there's a storm coming up and there's a man near you. You're good. He's going to get it, not you. Here's another fun one that we, we talk about and kid about a lot. This is generally a stereotype, but it often bears true. Uh, men generally kind of have one thing on their brain, right? Or as Dr. Laura said it, I love Dr. Laura's quote. She said, all men really want is sex and a sandwich. And at times, at times, he can go without the sandwich. Now, the reality is, and we can go on, I don't want to make this message, but I want to establish this because, again, gender is, we had a message earlier this summer on gender identity, but there really is a difference, and you are born with either double X chromosomes or XY chromosomes stamped in every single cell in your body, and it makes a difference. So the question is, what do you do with the difference when you come to this thing called the church? That's the question we're going to wrestle with. Can women occupy roles that men occupy and vice versa? Or are there things that a woman can do that a man can't do or a, that a man can do that a woman can't do? So here's how it started for me. I uh, was not yet a pastor, had a mentor professor in college who encouraged me to come to a, a, a seminar put on by a national church. Uh, this church is, is, is a church that has deeply shaped, since 1980-ish, has deeply shaped the landscape of the church uh, around the world. This is a church that today has over 30,000 people, multiple campuses. The, the leader of this church has profoundly impacted how we think church. Uh, so he's encouraging me to come, and I said, you know, I really don't want to. I didn't really want to engage them. I was like, ah, that's okay. He says, Adam, why not? I said, well, honestly, I struggle with their view on women. He said, what do you mean? So I gave him the view that I shared with you earlier. And I said, I know they don't hold to that because they have uh, females at multiple levels, female pastors, et cetera. And he says, well, Adam, would you be willing if you would come? I really think you'll benefit from this, this seminar. If you would come, I'm a friend with one of the, the top leaders at that church. Would you, if I, you come, will you have lunch with him? You ask him anything you want. Okay, that's the deal. I'll do that. 
So I'm sitting down in, in, in a break during this seminar, this conference, with a national leader, published author, big name guy, guys that we pay money to go see, and I'm sitting there, I got my shot at him. I'm like, here we go. So I want to talk about this issue. So I want to kind of begin, and here's what he, so this is where it started for me. Now, it didn't complete the, the cycle. He just set the groundwork, but it didn't really carry to completion for about maybe five, ten years later. But here's where I started. I started with this verse with him, 1 Corinthians 14. Now, here's why I start here, because this this is a blunt verse. Uh, you don't see it so much in our English translation, but in the original language, this is a harsh verse. Women should be silent during the church meeting. So what, in the original language, it would be, the English would better be translated, women, shut up. And it's a bang. It's, it's not a soft, hey, women, you really shouldn't talk, you know. It's like, no, shut your mouths. It is not proper for them to speak. They should be submissive, just as the law says. If they have any questions, they should ask their husbands at home, for it is improper for women to speak in church meetings. Boom, bang, steal done, shut my Bible. Let's go on and enjoy the rest of this conference. So he says to me, well, Adam, can we talk about this? I said, yeah, that's why I'm here. Let's engage. So he says, well, it's interesting to me you hold this so passionately. This is a teaching that it's how church should be functioning, how we should do our Sunday morning services, if you will. Uh, so he says, where does that teaching begin? I said, uh, 1 Corinthians 11. He says, great. Let's go there. Let's look at the start of this. Let's look at the context of this. And I want to show you something. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 5. But a woman dishonors her head... If she prays or prophesies without a covering on her head, for this is the same as shaving her head. Now, you didn't ask me this question, so I'm not even going to touch the head covering thing. That didn't get asked, so we'll leave that for another time or grab me later. But I want you to see something. A woman dishonors her head if she prays or prophesies without a covering on her head. If she, what is this? And what is this? So he looks at me and he poses this question. So Adam, tell me how understand why in one section Paul says, shut your mouth, but the section that opens it all up, he gives the availability for them to do two things, pray and prophesy, as long as they do it in the appropriate manner. I was like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> then he takes me to this passage, Acts chapter 2. In the last days, this is Peter, the apostle Peter, standing up, one of Jesus' closest friends on what's called the day of Pentecost. This is the start of what we know of as the New Testament. This is the start of what we know of as the church age. Um, this is the start of the age of grace, and here comes the Spirit of God. In the last days, he's going to quote from the Old Testament. The, the prophet's name is Joel. Joel chapter 2 or 3, I think, is where he quotes from. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my Spirit upon all people. Your sons and, say it aloud, daughters will... Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Then Paul comes along and makes an allowance for them to do it. If they do it, they just need to do it with their head covered. Now, he unpacked with me and, and began to help me understand. And, and so, again, I can't get into the rest of the discussion is what 1 Corinthians 14 is talking about. What it did for me is I'm suddenly feeling, do you ever get that position when you hold something so passionately and suddenly someone shows you something that looks very different from what you hold and you're like, what do you do? You know, you have that, some of us get fearful and we want to attack. Some of us want to run. So I'm sitting there. So I did the one thing I knew to do. I'm like, well, let's get another passage out. And I'd love for you to turn to me, turn to this one with me. First uh, Timothy chapter two. So what I did is I pulled another passage out. I said, okay, that's cool. I get that. Okay. So Paul does that there. Well, let's come to this one. This one you can't argue your way out of. Uh, so I get here and I, I show him this. First Corinthians chapter two. Uh, it's page 998 in the Bible's there. And I love everyone to turn and see. It's really important you see this verse. I want you to see that, um, I want you to see something in this text that is powerful. So verse 11. I still hear some pages turn. Wait till everyone grabs her. Verse 11. First, Corinthians, First Timothy chapter 2, verse 11. Written by the same guy who wrote 1 Corinthians 14, written again to t instruct us on how to do church, and especially in this section leading into how to do church leadership. Verse 11, women should learn quietly and, say the word aloud. You're going to have to say this word aloud. Women should learn quietly and... Whoo, there's a tough one, right? Oh, my goodness. Let's choke that one down. Women should learn quietly and submissively. I do not let women what? And who can they not teach? Or have authority over them. 
Let them listen quietly. The thing that's interesting is uh, compared to 1 Corinthians 14, Paul in 1 Corinthians 14 hits it that they need to shut up. Here, he actually does something that's counterculture in that day. In that day, women could not, could not even attend a, a, a learning environment. So here in that day, he's actually valuing women and saying they can at least come in and learn, which you also notice is different from what he does in 1 Corinthians 14, where he puts the emphasis on the home. Here he doesn't do that as strongly. So then he goes, verse 13, for God made Adam first, and afterward he made Eve. And it was not Adam who was deceived by Satan. The woman was deceived, and sin was the result. But women will be saved through childbearing, assuming they continue to live in faith, love, holiness, and modesty. So this guy engages me, and he says, Adam, first of all, he, this is, let me share you something I've learned as I engage other great leaders around. Uh, I'm not saying I am, but I love engaging others. Um, he, he didn't, he valued me. He knew we thought different, but he valued me. He said, Adam, I love, I love, love, love that you're a literalist when you come to the scriptures. That is beautiful. Don't ever lose that. He says, now, can I show you? Go back to verse 8. So go with me there. Chapter 2, verse 8. In every place of worship, I want men to pray with holy hands lifted up to God, free from anger and controversy. So he asked me this question, Adam, in a church, when you pastor a church one day, are you going to make it a policy that men, when they come and pray, they need to pray like this or like this? I'm like, well, no. Matter of fact, I looked around the room this morning. Not most of you men were, were engaged in our worship. You don't know what to do with your hands. You're like, I don't know what to do with his hands. I'll put them in my pocket. Or maybe I'll put them up here in my armpits because I scrub them really good in the shower, right? That picture, I know they're clean. We'll, we'll go ahead and stick them. They'll keep them nice and warm up there. Some of you maybe will hold them like this or, you know, I'm, I'm kind of like praying, I think. I didn't see anyone in this room doing this. So do we hold that literally? Should, should we say, okay, guys, next Sunday, if you're going to pray, you got to put your hands up. I said to this guy, I said, no, I don't hold it that way. Well, he says, well, what do you believe? I said, I believe the passage is a driving at something much bigger and deeper, and that is men who typically struggle with anger. Us men, we can get angry at times, right, honey? You women, you poke your man, we get angry, and, and they need to deal with that. They can't come before God all angry and bitter and worked up. Deal with it. Be holy. And it's, a, it's almost like a figure of speech saying, so, I, so we work through that. He says, we'll go to the next one. Verse 9, and I want women to be modest in their appearance. They should wear decent and appropriate clothes and not draw attention to themselves by the way they fix. Now look at the specifics. By the way they fix their hair. Some of you say braid your hair. And by wearing gold or pearls or expensive clothes. For women who claim to be devoted to God should make themselves attractive by the good things they do. So he said to me, Adam, are you going to have a policy in your church one day that women cannot adorn themselves with gold necklaces or rings or pearls? Well, no. Are you going to have a problem with women who color their hair, put hair extensions in, braid their hair, do their hair all fancy and nice? Well, no. Are you going to, are you going to, and he, and he goes through this, and I, he, I say, he said, well, so why? You're a li- you love the literal interpretation. Why don't you hold to that? I said, well, because the passage is getting at something bigger, that a woman's beauty shouldn't be all wrapped up with what's outside but what's inside. And, and don't get wrapped up with the world's thrown at you. Deal with living in a modest, beautiful way and, and be, a, be a person who's living out in good works towards others. And he said, I would agree with you. Now, the last one he showed me, verse 15. Now, if you're literal, if you have a literal hermeneutic, which means you interpret the Bible literally, this verse will give you a fit. But women will be saved through what? <laughs> oh, okay. So he looked at me, and then it goes on reading, assuming, 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 they continue to live in faith, love, holiness, and modesty. Now, he says, Adam, as I've, I've sat here and got to know you, I can see that you're pretty passionate about the gospel of Jesus Christ. I said, I am. He goes, so I'm pretty sure when you're a pastor, you're not going to stand up and preach. If women, if you want to get to heaven, go have babies. Right? No, of course not. I'm never going to teach that. I'm never going to preach that. No, absolutely not am I going to do that. So then he asked me the, the, the golden question. He said, so Adam, if you hold to verse 8 as a figurative, bigger picture thing, if you hold to verses 9 through 10 as a figurative, 
bigger picture thing. If you hold to verse 15 as something figurative and bigger, why not verses 11 to 14? Great question. And it planted a seed in me that began to crack down into that hard foundation that I had, the black and white box thinking that I approached things with, and he left me with this thought. And I'll, I'll share with you where I went from here. He said, Adam, here's where I, what I believe. Women may teach as long as they do not usurp the place of authority and leadership that men are to hold in the church and the family. So he said, Adam, I believe... That is the principle that's being driven at is there is a headship, there's an authority, there's a structure to creation, and as long as women honor that, they can preach and teach in any way that the leadership and the authority of the church has asked them and given them the reality to. Now, here's where he really got me. He said, Adam, I want to tell you a story of something that happened in our church, and I want to put you in a scenario of what would you do. So a couple came for marriage counseling. And this couple was, man, they were, they were divided. The primary issue they were divided was, was over this issue of leadership and authority and submission. They were going at it. Uh, and they sit down in my office, and so he says, I begin to ask them, so tell me, if your husband is, so her complaint was, her presenting complaint was, my husband is not a spiritual leader in the home. So he asked the question, if you were to wake up tomorrow, the, the golden question, this is a great counseling question, if you were to wake up tomorrow What's the first thing that you'd notice if that day were different, if something were different, if something changed? So she begins to say, well, my husband would be the one reading the scriptures. My husband would be the ones asking us to pray. My husband, and she went down all this stuff. To which he said, how do you want your husband to do that? He's dyslexic. He has a hard time putting sentences together. Your husband is gifted in a way that you are not, and vice versa. She had the equivalent of four more years of education than he did. She was a strong, she worked in marketing and communications. She was highly gifted in that area. So would it not be leadership and authority for that husband, for your husband, to come to the table with the family and say, kids, I've asked mom to lead us tonight. Is that not good leadership? Is that not authority? Is that not, in some capacity, the husband taking the weight and the responsibility that he has to make sure this family is moving in a certain direction and simply saying, my wife, your mother, is more gifted than I am. I'm going to let her read and I'm going to let her lead us and then I will contribute as we move along. And I sat and I looked at him and I said, yeah, you got a point. And he said, Adam, I'm going to encourage you to think about this. So what I did is I went back, and over the next five to maybe ten-year time, I wrestled with this. I wasn't quite sure where to land. I wasn't quite sure what to say. But the one thing that I knew is this passage takes us back to Genesis. So that's where I found my answer. Come back with me to Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3. It's page 4 in the Bible there in the seats in front of you. Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3. I want to start in chapter 3. Verse 16, to be specific. The New Living does a beautiful job translating this verse. <laughs> Many translations just leave this one nebulous. and like, what does that mean? The New Living hits this verse on the head. Genesis chapter 3, verse 16. Now, this is the curse. So here's where we're at. Adam and Eve just ate the fruit that God said, don't, don't eat this. They ate it, but then God delivers the, the, his promise. I promise that once you eat... There is going to be sin and death and destruction is going to enter the world. So, he, so God is now speaking to them, what is, the, what is the brokenness that's going to enter the world? What is the sin? What is the, it's referred to as the curse. So here it is. Then he said to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy, and in pain you will give birth. I know some of you ladies cannot wait to speak with Eve in heaven one day and say, thank you, honey, for the, eating that fruit. Now here's the next one. And you will desire to control your husband, but he will what? Now, the rule over, in the original language, it's you're going to desire to step into his role, and he is going to... Sorry, some of you jumped. Don't mean to scare you. <laughs> I woke all of you up, right? You're back with me. <laughs> so it's this, this dominant, I am in control, and I'm going to put you in your place. You can't have my leadership. 
Now, as I read this and studied this, a light bulb absolutely went off in my head one day. I'm like, oh my goodness. I've been using this all along to defend headship of the man because after all, it's spoken there and so she's, and the woman, the woman needs this. I've been using this all along, but there's a problem. This is the curse. It's not the gospel. And this is where I get passionate. (laughs) The gospel of Jesus Christ, what is the gospel of Jesus Christ all about? Some of you in this room know it really well. Jesus Christ came to this earth to conquer sin and death. He came not to make bad people good, to make the dead people alive. He came to restore, to bring newness. He came to make us new. As we sang the song, he came to make us sons and daughters of God to bring us home. He came to reverse the curse. So here I am holding this view to the curse, and I'm like, but the gospel undoes this. Galatians chapter 3, this is a beautiful verse. For all are children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. If you don't know this, this is so important. You're not a child of God, but with that song that we sung earlier, you're only a child of God by faith in Jesus. Not because you go to church, because you read your Bible, because you give your money, because you, you love people, because you, and on down the list you can go. You're a child of God only by putting your trust and saying, Jesus, you are who you say you are. Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I need your help. So you do that. You become a child of God. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ, like putting on new clothes. So I'm united in Christ, and because I'm united in Christ, there is now no longer, now look at this, there's no longer Jew or Gentile. So what we saw happening in Charlottesville, Virginia, if you believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, you've got to look at that and say, that is a mess and that is a problem. Because when you believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, ethnic lines and national lines and, and all that stuff breaks down because the gospel comes in and heals us, brings us back into that unity that was designed in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. Slave or free. You know how many battles have been fought in human history? over the rich versus the poor? Unbelievable. The gospel steps in, and there could be a millionaire in this room sitting next to an app, someone who can't rub two pennies together to pay a bill this week. And the gospel of Jesus Christ is we're going to bring this thing together, and there's going to be healing where there was once brokenness. And look at the last one, male and female. The gospel of Jesus Christ restores this, brings us healing where there's been so much brokenness for all are one in Christ Jesus. So I began to look at this and think, oh my goodness, the gospel undoes the curse. Okay, but I said, no, no, wait a minute, no, wait a minute. There's still headship isn't there. So turn with me to Genesis chapter one. I want you to see from the goal of living in the church is to live in Genesis one and two, not live in Genesis three. If we believe in the gospel, we should root ourselves in Genesis one. 1 and 2, not in Genesis 3. So let's go back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. It says it this way. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. What's it say? Male and, say it aloud, male and he created them. So it doesn't say God made, it doesn't say God made men in his image. And then he kind of just tagged on this female. He says, no, he created the image of God. Now look at this next verse. Then God blessed who? Then God blessed, say it aloud, them. It doesn't say, then God blessed the man. Then God, no, it says, God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and, fill the earth, don't miss this word, fill the earth and govern. Is that a leadership word? The last time I checked, that is a leadership word. Is it spoken to men or is it spoken to women? Both. Look at the next word. There's another leadership word. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Here's how I've learned to say it. As I've gone back to Genesis 1 and 2, I say men and women are created fully equal. Equal in the image of God, equally blessed, equally given dominion, equally told to be fruitful. And here's the thing I've come to learn. You can only be fruitful by working together. Last time I checked, men, you can't be fruitful without a female counterpart. Am I right? Am I right in that? What do you think? (laughs) Women, can you be fruitful without your male counterpart? So this is why I hold to, here's a, here, I'm going to give you a theological term, and I don't want to get lost with this, but I don't like to use big terms on Sunday, but here's one. I'm a complementarian. I believe that's fully equal, yet we each have unique roles, and in those unique roles, we work together beautifully to exercise dominion and govern, govern this world in which God has given to us. 
Now, look at verse chapter 2, verse 18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. We'll come back to that word helper in a minute. So the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would call them. Then Then the man chose a name for each one. He gave names to all the livestock and all the birds of the sky and all the wild animals, but still there was no helper just right for him. So I believe what God is doing and what he always does with us. He knows what's best for you. He knows what's best for me. He knows what's best for Adam, but he wants us to feel it and sense it first. So he parades all these animals. There comes the bear. There comes the giraffe. There comes the sea lion, there comes the, and all these, and after a while, Adam, I can picture, is sitting there like, uh, uh, like they all got a partner but me. Like there's no one here, it looks like me. So look at the next verse. So the Lord caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While the man slept, the Lord God took one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib. Now this is hugely important. 1 Corinthians 11, Paul builds on this. The verse that I started with, or talked about earlier. 1 Corinthians 11, listen to this. Please understand this. So where did man come from? How was Adam formed? Do you know what my name means? I'm Adam, by the way. Do you know what my name means? Guess what it means? Dirt. Don't use it against me, please. I'm red earth. That's really literally what it means. Yesterday we went for a hike as a family. We're hiking up through this section, and my wife happens to look down, and there's this red earth. There she goes, look, there's Adam. And then I felt like, saying, yeah, we're walking all over him, right? I'm red earth. I'm dirt. So God took dirt and formed man, but where did woman come from? Came from the man. Crucial. Crucial to our understanding of how the two work together and the hierarchy that we're going to talk about in a minute. Now look at this next thing, verse 23. At last, the man exclaims. So he wakes up from his sleep. At last. I mean, love this. At last. Woohoo! I mean, he wakes up. It's like, yes, look at this. I mean, you can picture this. Now, he is left without words. That's why I love music. Music, music is, let me say, music puts to words what our words cannot quite reach. Music touches something deep inside of us, and that's exactly Adam in Hebrew just breaks into song. He breaks into poetry. I mean, this guy's a romantic to the core. I mean, look at this. This, is, this one is bone from my bones, flesh from my flesh. Crucial next phrase. She will be called woman because she was taken from the man. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two shall be knighted into what? One. Look at the next verse. Now, the man and wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. Beautiful oneness that the gospel of Jesus is aiming to bring us back to. Can I just say this, men in the room? Women are a gift to you. Receive her as such. I believe with all my heart there's some husbands in this room right now that need to hear this message. This right here. This is all you came to hear this morning. You've been fighting your wife from the day you've gotten married. She is your gift. What I want to say to men as that struggle with this, if you don't receive your wife as a gift to you, you're ultimately turning your back on the giver. She's a gift. Now, I want you to see something else that's really important in this phrase. I'm going to ask my daughter, Ava. She's backstage. She's been eagerly waiting for this. She's, she did a first service. She's a little nervous, so I... I think she's getting bored back there now. So if you kind of welcome her out, I think I'm hollering for her. Ava, can you hear me, sweetie? Come on out, Ava. I'm not seeing the door. Ava's like, I'm, I went home, Dad. Ava. Oh, here she is. Awesome. Now, Ava, there she is. <laughs> Hi, sweetie. Are you saying all because my daughter or the guinea pig? I really hope it's my daughter, right? Now, Ava, Ava is seven. She's all excited because she told me yesterday that mom told her she can't start planning her birthday party until September starts. Am I right? Is that what she told you? And your birthday's in October, so she's already planning. She soon turns eight. Well, Ava has here, can you show him what you have? Can you hold it up for him? Ooh, there. Ava has a guinea pig. This is Bella, Bella the guinea pig. Now, the cool thing is, who named this guinea pig? Did I name it? I wouldn't have picked Bella. Sorry, sweetie. I would have picked a much cooler name. (laughs) Now, why did she name the guinea pig? It's hers. I want to contend with this a minute. Is it really hers? Who paid for it? 
Who bought it? Who pays for the bedding on a monthly basis that she needs to clean the pen out with? Who pays for the food and the hay and the carrots and everything else we give this pig, the vitamin C drops? I do, right? So why don't I get to name it? Because it's whose? I gave it to her, right? Does that connect? Thank you, sweetie. Here, can I, do, you think, do you think Bella wants to say hi to everyone? What do you think? Oops, sorry, I got your hair there. What do you think? There's Bella. She's, her heart's pumping a mile a minute, so we'll let her. <laughs> there you go, sweetie, thank you. Now, in the Hebrew, this is hugely significant. Who names woman woman? Why? What does that mean? There is headship in creation before the fall ever came. Ever. Now, we understand this in English, but it's, it's right there in Hebrew. Now, let me, let me give you one more thing. Adam is the head, yet Eve is not described as inferior. What is she called? Look at, we saw it in two places. Let me show you one of them. Verse uh, 20, the second half. But still there was no what? No helper. Look up at verse 18. Then God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a what? Helper. Now here's how we hear the word helper. What does helper mean to you? Here's, how, what it means to, uh, here's what it means to me. Here's kind of where I'm really going to say this. So a few years ago, we had a hurricane that came through this area, and it wiped trees out all over our backyard. Our backyard looked like a war zone. This big tree dropped straight across this, this, this like tree fort thing, this place set that my wife worked so hard to, to earn money for, to get there for the kids, and it just bang, right across, and tr- this mess everywhere. So I go to the shed. I get out a chainsaw. I fire this thing up, and I start cutting. And then before long, I have what joining me? Helpers. Now, here's how we view helper in the English. We view helper as basically, we view helper as someone to come along and help me do what I can really do for myself, but it will make the job so much easier, right? That's how we view helper. In the Hebrew, that's not the word helper. The word is easer. Some of you know from Come Thou Fount, the old hymn, uh, my Ebenezer is, is, the, is the word. It means helper. It doesn't mean just assisting to lighten the load. It means you can't do it without the help. And it is almost every time that it's used in the scriptures, it's used not for a woman, but for God. Psalm, let me show you a couple of them. Psalm 33, verse 20. We put our hope in the Lord. He is our easer, help. And our shield, look at this next one, Hosea chapter 13, verse 9. It says, you are about to be destroyed, O Israel. Yes, by me, your only easer, helper. Now, basically what God is saying here is, listen, I am about to remove your help. And when your help is removed, what happens to you? You're done. In other words, this help is a strength. Now, it says, not implying that the helper is stronger or weaker than the help. It's simply that the latter's strength is inadequate by itself. Women, women hear this. Uh, probably the men need to hear this more than the women. Women, the men in your life need help. Some of you are going, <laughs> just try and tell them. If there's a man near you, say, you need help. Go ahead. Have some fun. Just tell them. Say, <laughs> some of you are going, this is not funny, Adam. I don't like this at all. <laughs> Men, I would say it this way, receive them as such. You're handicapped without it. Now, here's the last thing I'll leave us with, and then I'll wrap this thing up with, with a dream that I have. I love uh, reading, I'm kind of strange this way, I get the Harvard Business Review on a regular basis, I love going through it. About a year, year and a half ago, this study showed up that was featured in the Harvest, Harvard Business Review. Um, these whole, I'm going to give you all their names. A whole string of professors were studying um, this, uh, the... Uh, They were looking at a team and what makes for a really good team. And so they brought together a whole pile of individuals and ages 18 to age 60, and they gave all of these individuals an IQ test. So they determined where all of them stand in intelligence, every single human being, and then they randomly broke them up onto onto teams. And then they gave the teams all these tasks to accomplish, brainstorming tasks, decision-making tasks. They had to do visual puzzles, and then all the teams had one complex problem to solve. And then they pulled back together, and they wanted to see, does does putting smart people on a team make a team smarter? And guess what they discovered? It doesn't. It's kind of funny. 
You'd think if, if a person with an IQ of 120 to, all the way up at the ceiling uh, goes on a team, that team is suddenly going to just get really intelligent. Well, it doesn't. So, th- so they were kind of bummed by that in their research. But here's one thing that jumped right out of their research. So, th- so then they gave these team IQs. Here's, I want to read it. This is straight from their research. Though the teams that had members with higher IQs didn't earn much higher scores, those that had who did? Women. The only significant difference in making the team smarter was adding women, not smarter people. Women? (laughs) Says a lot for you. So this all leads to where I'm at today. The gospel message, and here's where the view I stand, the gospel message restores the brokenness that the curse brought us. So I hold to that that I scribbled in my notepad, and I've wrestled through this over the years, that women may teach as long as they do not usurp the place of leadership and authority men hold in the church. So if you look at our church constitution, who is the authority of this church? Is it me? No. (laughs) It's our elders. That's why we as a church hold that that place of authority is reserved for men. That's just where we're at today, and that's the view that we hold to. Now, let me show you this next one. This is a graph, 2015, this was taken. I couldn't find anything more recent than 2015. This is mapping the education between men and women in the world. So your blue countries are countries where men have more education than women. Your red countries are countries where women have more education than men. In the first century, this is which color the world was. Women weren't even allowed to be educated. In America right now, what color, North America, what, or in the United States, what color are we? Let me give you the exact statistic. Right now in, North, in the United States, women have one7 more years of education than your fellow man does. In Angola, the, the, the country there, you see it's really dark. It's men by 5.3 years. So here's how this works. Let me give you a real practical example. So we have two counselors here at this church that we contract with. That, that, that both of them have a seminary degree. Guess how far my education goes? I stop at a bachelor's degree. Now, if you add in my pre-bachelor's work, in with my bachelor's work, they have roughly about two more years of education than I do, which bears, there it is, 1.7 years. So when our staff, I'm a man, I'm the leader of the church even, but I discovered that we live in a passive-aggressive culture, and our counselors on this, uh, here at our church have more education than I ever will on that subject. So we sat down with them, and I said, would you come in and train our staff? Teach. Teach men. Teach me. Teach Pastor Chris a man. Teach Grant Gaiman, our our student ministry director. Teach us. And they did. And I think it was beautiful. I think we're stronger and better because of it. But we allow it because we say, you know what? They're better educated. They came in humbly. They, I'll even use the word submitted to the authority of our church. They, they did not usurp anything. They stepped in in the area of our expertise, the area of their strength, and trained us in something that we desperately needed to engage with. And we say, that's beautiful. Now, here's where I want to wrap this whole thing up. I want to talk to the men in the room. I want to end this whole thing by talking to the men. Even if you disagree with me categorically up to this point, you're wrong, but that's okay. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, I hope you know I'm kidding. Please engage the conversation. I want to talk to the men, though. Please, all the men, come in with me here. I want to show you a verse. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. But there is one thing I want you to know. The head of every man is Christ. Look at the hierarchy. So if you read the verses before, it talks about God is the head of Christ. The head of every man is Christ. The head of woman is man. And the head of Christ is God. So it builds this hierarchy, this structure, into, into how God views him, the Trinity and how God views man and woman. So it builds this thing in. So it says the head of every man is Christ. Christ, the head of woman. Now, there's a problem here. I am Tanya's head because I'm her husband. This is Becky, so I don't want to embarrass you, Becky. But I am not Becky's head. Why am I not Becky's head? Because I'm not her husband. She's married to Jordan, our drummer. Does a phenomenal job. So I look at this. Well, here's this translation. Let me give you a better translation. But I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man, and the man is the head of a, there's an article that's left out in the New Living, woman, and God is the head of Christ. So it's a head. So it doesn't mean man is the head of all women. It means a man is the head of a woman. 
Could be his daughter, could be his wife. Now here's what I want to talk. I want to give you a quote. I want to talk to the men who've been called to be the head of a woman. I want to talk to the men. I want to use a quote by Tony Evans, a pastor in Dallas. He's passionate about man and malehood and challenging men to be men. Uh, in his book, Kingdom Man, this comes from his book, Kingdom Man. If, great read. Men, I'd encourage you, if, if you want to you grow in your leadership as a man, this is a great read for you. But in, in this book, here's what he talks when he gets to this issue of headship and submission. He says, the problem in marriage today isn't that we have too many women who don't want to submit. I want to pause right here because I, one of the things that he talks about in the book and one of the things that I will concur, and it's been my experience too, many times the person who's coming to me to, to scream the loudest, make the biggest fuss about this issue of women in leadership, is it a man or a woman who's coming to me? You know, almost always it's a man. They're doing this, they're doing this, my wife's nuts, and it's this, this just angry approach a lot of times. And I want to say that, listen, I want to talk to the men. The problem in marriage today, and this is talking marriage, I think it's true of the church as well, the problem in marriage today isn't that we have too many women who don't want to submit. The problem is not women not wanting to submit. The problem is that we have too many men who don't want to submit. Let that sink in before you read the rest of it. You say, well, submit to who? Well, what did the verse say? Submit to the headship of Jesus Christ. What is Jesus' physical body represented right now on this earth is what? It's church. So I would say, men, are you submitted to the church? You should not be surprised, Tony goes on to say, if a woman is not following your lead, if you're not following Christ's lead. No matter where you stand on this issue, what I have found repeatedly in my experience is the issue with women and what we think about where they can and can't lead and the issue of submission seldom boils down to what we think about the scriptures. It often boils down to, men, you are not leading in your home. You've used your leadership to control, to beat up, to manipulate, to, to, to do all kinds of things, everything but serve, humbly walk in and walk with, engage with, relate to, and deal with your anger. You, you men so often come at approach with anger and control, and I'd say, men, this issue falls on our shoulders. Step up and lead. Now, as my view has changed over the years, I wanted to share the dream that I've become very, very passionate about. I dream, I dream, passionately dream of the church of Jesus Christ, our church, Bethany, but any church. I dream of a church where we celebrate the differences, where we say, you know what, there are men and there are women and we are different and that is beautiful and we can be one and we can work together. I dream of a church where we don't suppress women, telling them that they can't live where they're gifted and called. I dream of a world where we give equal pay and equal rights to women who occupy the same role that a man does. It is criminal. When you go home this afternoon and Google the pay for CEOs of large corporations, if you're a man, you will make more than a woman in the exact same role, and that is wrong. I dream of a world where we push back on that. I dream of a world where we categorically protect women. Peter comes along and says they're the weaker party. And I dream of a world where men, we use our strength to fight for, to defend, to protect, to lift up, to set free, not hold down, beat down, and treat like they're inferior. I dream of a world where a marriage is a safe place for a woman to soar, where her husband helps her be all that she was called to be, where her husband steps in as a servant with grace and mercy and not anger and control, but leads her, graciously leads her. I dream of a world where a dad is a little girl's biggest cheerleader. Do you know how many women I've sat with over the years where they tell me stories of their dad basically treating them like second-rate citizens because they're nothing more than a woman? You sense a little anger in my voice because there is passion here. I dream of this. I've seen so much hurt and so much pain. I dream of a world where that dad is her biggest cheerleader and stills courage and fans her dreams. I dream of a church that allows a female voice to come to the table of leadership, making us all smarter and wiser. Do you know why? Because this is a dark world that we live in. And we need every last bit of God's image to light up that darkness. And a man is only half of God. You need the female counterpart. But men, it's on our shoulders. Men, you've got to embrace what the scriptures teach about your role as a head. Serve your family well. Listen, engage, be emotionally present. Walk with, love, and humbly admit when you're wrong. Clean up your anger. 
and lead your home well. And I believe if we can do that, this dream will be realized. Let me close this in prayer. I know I ended passionate. I honestly want to welcome you into conversations. I ain't going to come talk about that. You're all charged up. <laughs> Please come talk. I had someone walk out to challenge me first service, and I said, man, we're going to get together this week. I look forward to it. So engage the conversation. Form your opinions carefully. Really look at the scriptures. Don't just run with what was given to you by mom or dad or the culture around you. Both can be wrong. So let me pray for us, engage the conversation. The team's going to come and lead us in one final song. God, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that the gospel message restores the brokenness that we have in this world. I pray for Virginia right now and all the mess that we've seen spill out there. God, the gospel heals that. The gospel helps us to look past black and white and, and all the ethnic divides and racial divides and national divides. God, it just helps us to say, man, we are one in Christ and we can be one in Christ. God, men and women, there's been a battle over this one for years. God, I pray for the men right now in this room. Man, you've given us headship right from the start. You've given us a helper, God, right from the start. God, help men in this room to step to the plate and lead in the way that you've called them to lead, to set the women in their lives free, to serve them, to delegate authority to them to not hold them back and beat them down and use harsh, angry words against them, but to set them free. God, help men to have courage and stand up against our culture that sometimes throws another message at us. God, our homes, they're looking for leaders. Help us to step to the plate. God, women in this room, God, I pray, I pray specifically for those in this room who have been hurt. There are those in this room that have been hurt by men. And may even be angry at me for even talking about headship because they've been so hurt. But God, would you heal them? God, would, would you touch their hearts? Would they see, not see you as an angry male father, but would they see you as a loving God? Would they step towards you and find in you safety and healing? God, I pray for that healing between men and women. God, I pray for this church. God, this is a tough issue to navigate at times. It gets messy. It gets hard. But God, man, we need all parts of your image at the table to lead well, to shine your light in this broken world, which we have such a heart to do. God, to that end, we pray. Give us wisdom. Give our elders wisdom. Give our leaders wisdom. Myself, Chris, our staff. God, be with us. It's a tough world that we step towards. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.